Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. And welcome to episode 272 of the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Paul, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well, but I have to figure out a way to get some computing power. I want like an Intel Nook device, but I don't want to do actual hardware work. So I need to find it to get me an extra screen. An Intel Nook device. Yeah, you know those little bitty computers that you come out on the back of a TV? Because I got a new space in my office to put a TV and I just don't want to plot a soldering gun. So anyways, that's what I'm doing. That's what my brain's working on today. (laughs) (laughs) Priorities right there. Exactly. Exactly. How you doing? Pretty good. You know, we're busy at work. We got the uh, MVP summit coming up, which obviously you're aware of as an MVP. And so we're busy locking down sessions and build is around the corner. Dates have not been announced. So I'm not going to put my foot in my mouth, but <laughs> we're busy planning a bunch of stuff for that, which is exciting. And so, yeah, it's been fun. It's good. And uh, some of us have been popping into the office, which I caught up with someone in the cafe which was nice just to like see someone from work in person, which is, uh, I guess it's been a long time coming. It's been more than two years now, right? So yeah, it was nice to catch up. Wow, that's great. Yeah. I, I don't know what your commute is like, but it would seem to be uh, after two years of not having to commute. Then again, I, my situation is different, right? I don't have everybody in the house with me, so <laughs> maybe it's just not a big deal, but that, that would be- I mean, my house is empty all day long, right? But uh, yeah. no, it's my, I can get there in 30 minutes in a pinch. It, now, if everyone was going to work, it would take me 25 minutes in the morning. But because no one's doing it, it's actually a you know, nice little ride in. Not enough to listen to a podcast. That's actually <laughs> what it is. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. All righty. So um, what did you find out there on the old interwebs this week? Um, as usual, found uh, some nice things. So let's start with um, Teams JS SDK V2. Public preview update, Teams apps in office.com. So this has been uh, dribs and drabs coming out for a while here. And this is actually a somewhat old post. It's dated February the 15th, uh, but uh, I just found it, uh, a link to it. And the short answer here is if you write a Teams tab that could be hosted in office.com and uh, Outlook. Uh, I shouldn't say Outlook, but uh, uh, other places uh, other than just Teams. So it's nice to see that moving along. So we'll put a link in here if you can uh, get more details about the updated SDK stuff. Yeah, and um, Zaki was uh, who's been is the principal PM on this in the in the Taos org. That's kind of driving this kind of like multi hub type approach. Is uh, you know it's highlighting a lot of partners like Adobe and EcareVault and GoOne and Monday.com and Mural. ServiceNow, Poly, ServiceMonkey, Zoho, like they've been working with some really cool ISVs to like really test this. And um, there are a bunch of first party teams also building using this construct too. So I I really like this uh, approach of being able to kind of get things uh, not just in teams uh, because, you know, I don't work in teams all day long. I'm I'm actually in Outlook a lot more and office.com is like default tab on my browser. So being able to kind of launch those things straight from there is, uh, you know, is a good little scenario. And obviously you get like the SSO and can call graph from within that frame because you're already signed into office.com. So there are definitely benefits that you get from taking down this approach, which is cool. 
I like it. Yeah, but SharePoint. I mean, come on. Now, I, I guess we're not going to solve that problem today, but yeah. there's, the, there's the external feedback. I got to decide between this and... <laughs> this is a, a big journey. And uh, there's, yes. I think, like 40 work streams of work to kind of bring all this together. Like, I mean, auth obviously is a big problem, right? But uh, yeah, it's it's been fascinating to see all this go on and, and see this push. And so like, this is slowly but surely like rather than waiting three years to ship it in every hub you know they're doing it bit by bit yes that's true yeah fair fair point there. so you know the vision is bigger and grander but uh, getting something out there is i think what zaki's team is trying to do so yes excellent um and so i'm certainly on my list to, to kick the tires because i have a team's tab ready to rock and roll so awesome great stuff there, there. we go yeah let's get so, it for free <laughs> there you go um the next one i want to talk about is uh, one you found the end of the rest api for on-premises mailboxes uh so i'm not sure i can parse all the different words in here but a preview program enabling rest api access to on-premise mailboxes for hybrid exchange is closing so a year from now you can't do this so i'm guessing whatever it was isn't going to ga do you have more details on this or do we just need to point folks to go read it and if you're doing on-premises go figure it out yourself yeah it, it was stuck in preview for a long time um and and so we realized that this was a preview we weren't going to take into production and there's some kind of related technology stuff around aws and what we're doing there is a we haven't announced deprecation of that api we announced deprecation of basic auth but we do have intentions obviously to you know at some point deprecate what we deem as legacy APIs that aren't Microsoft Graph and EWS is one of those, but we acknowledge that there's still a fair bit of work we need to do on Graph that is available on EWS that isn't on uh, Graph right now. And so this is just us really making a public announcement of something that we've been telling ISVs under NDA for a while that we just wanted to be clear with everyone customer wise that, uh, you know, this is something that we're not bringing out a preview and focus more on the cloud and not on uh, on-premises instances of uh, of this. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember if, if the organization had a cloud presence, but some individuals' mailboxes were on-prem, it would be yeah. proxying that call. Gotcha. So what's ending is the program to do that proxying of the one or two mailboxes that might yeah. be... Got it. And honestly, it was really hard to set up and there wasn't a lot of energy put into documenting it to make that super easy. And so it was just deemed, hey, look, if, you, if we're really not focused on this, we should probably make an announcement because it's been in preview for years. And so Greg in our group kind of put this together and got that out there, which is great. So again, we really appreciate feedback on this and the pressure put on to kind of make us stand on this. And you know, I'm glad that we can publicly talk about this rather than kind of only under NDA. Excellent. So uh, the next one I found is a, a, a video series and GitHub repo called Let's Brainstorm, which is Dan Waleen. And I I think that's Aicha. Yeah, Aicha did this video. What caught my eye is there's a video about integrating real-time Microsoft Graph notifications into your application, but it's part of a bigger series about brainstorming a fluid framework, uh, a fluid framework based application that does all kinds of stuff real time at Azure R and Azure Functions. Yeah, but but the, the one that caught my eye was using Microsoft Graph change notifications. And part of that is the presence. So that's uh, what their video is. But so we put a link to both the GitHub repo and this video so folks can learn more about using change notifications in their app. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I mean, Dan, just we talked about him last week with the Graph Fundamentals 
YouTube course and the learn modules and Ica has done some great stuff. So having this come out as well, I need to go watch this because I haven't seen, I'm, I'm actually more interested in the fluid framework stuff than I am the graph notification because <laughs> I know all about that, but um, exactly. it's good that we're getting this content out there. It's awesome. Yes, yes. And now uh, switching to some community links when it's somewhat related. So I've done a lot of work in .NET and the bot. And when I'm developing my bot, I need to set up a, a tunnel. Use, I use the NGRAC tool to get a tunnel from the internet to my local PC. Inevitably, I'm having something that's not working and then I curse myself because I, I forgot to start the NGRAC tunnel. Here's a, a post from Niels Swimberg talking about integrating NGRAC into your ASP.NET Core application. So you press F5, it'll connect the tunnel and run your web API. Victor Villain did this in the Teams Yeoman Generator 18,000 years ago when that first came out. <laughs> so thanks, Victor, <laughs> for doing that. And now thanks for Niels for putting it together. So now if, uh, if you don't, so this is why you don't forget, it at least lets you connect up. And this is using the NGRAC API to start the tunnel. Edit, the edit, compile, debugs, cycle can zoom through really fast. So great to see. Thanks a lot, Niels, for doing that. The amount of times Ngrok not starting or being on the wrong port and mean trying to work out why this demo wasn't working or, you know, five minutes before going on stage at build is, uh, yeah, it's yeah, caused me a lot of exactly, problems. So. Exactly. It is a good little tool though, for sure. Uh, well worth the subscription. i tell you that. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, to get your own domain that, you know, it's always the same instead of having to start it every time. So great stuff. The next one is uh, another from Tomomi. I'm sorry. I'm saying that wrong. Yeah. I got it right. She she has. I think that's right. Tomomi is from the DevRel team. So she's works alongside Iker and Dan and Waldeck and Bob and Rubier and I'm missing some people. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so she's discussing Teams Toolkit V3 in this particular one, uh, debugging, right? So press F5 in VS Code and it does what you want it to do, which uh, is perfect for me. I was just trying to debug something and I can never get the debug settings right in the doggone tool. So I'm looking forward to, to rolling this stuff in and, and just press uh, the go button and hit my breakpoint for crying out loud. So thanks uh, for putting that one out there to me. Yeah, and actually she does a lot of kind of, she's very creative. She does a lot of bullet journaling and uh, a lot of these like visual graphics to explain certain things. And so if you like that type of stuff as a visual learner, I'd encourage you to follow her Twitter account too, um, which is all linked on the show notes as well. Right. And so the last uh, community link I found is uh, related to last week's show. We, we talked to Fabian about uh, adaptive cards and universal actions. And then on the PNP call last week, Tim Kadenbach did a demo of the adaptive card studio extension to VS Code. And so we'll put a link in, into his demo. You can see there's the option to add a, a VS Code extension that'll do the rendering instead of having to flip out to the adaptive cards.io uh, site. Uh, to, to do your tweaking. So great to see that extension. And I uh, want to, Tim's been doing a lot of work in this space. So wanted to, uh, it's a shame I didn't have this link ready when we did the adaptive cards episode, but at least we got to it. So off you go. Yeah. So that's um, right. Last week. Off you go. So that's something for folks to share. Cool. And so that's good. And then this week we had uh, Tom Morgan on. And so, um, Paul, it would have been good to have you on there because there's a lot of Teams Dev stuff that you could have probably asked deeper questions that I could have done on certain areas. But Yeah, so sorry. You know how things happen, right? <laughs> oh, I well and truly know it. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy the show. And if you're interested in um, coming on or use people or topics you'd like to see, please, you know, reach out to us on Twitter and um, we'll do our very best to get them on the show. And uh, everyone have a good week. Thank you.
Okay, so I'm here this morning in uh, Redmond, Washington, and for your afternoon with uh, Tom Morgan in the UK. So uh, welcome to the show, Tom. Hi there. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Whereabouts are you in the UK, mate? It's hard with your accent to guess that. Uh, Yeah, so I'm in uh, Norwich, which is like two and a half hours northeast of London. So the bulgy out bit of East Anglia. You're, you're almost like far enough away. Where, like I was from Great Dumbo, which is just outside Stansted. Okay. And so I'd always just say North London. Yeah. Because it was just easier. Than, exactly. Like, unless, right. you, unless you've flown out of Stansted Airport to go to Europe, like no one's yeah. going to know where Great Dumbo is yeah, at all. Yeah, it's funny. Like some people just say, accept that because like two hours outside of London is not actually that far for definitely for like Americans and most other people. But like in the UK, it's quite far. Right. But then also you also get a lot of people who've been you know, to the UK, they've been to Norfolk specifically, they've been to Norwich and they, they know that area quite well. So it's like, oh, you're there. Okay, fine. You know, but <laughs> it's, it's so yeah. true. Well, um, welcome to the show. I, um, I've been following along with a bunch of short videos and blogs and different things and wanted to get you on to talk about um, teams development in more detail. Do you want to just introduce yourself for people that maybe listen to the show but aren't aware of who Tom Morgan is? Yeah, sure. So I've been sort of doing this for about 10 years I've always been in the Microsoft stack and unified communication. So back in the day, it was Link and then Skype for Business and and now Teams. And I've always been the developer building on the platform. So back in Skype for Business days, those were the SDKs and they were different APIs. And now in Teams, there's a whole different set of extensibility. But I'm all about kind of building on that platform um, to either kind of, you know, round off some rough edges or provide additional extensibility or unlock whatever business process it is and get stuff done. And yes, that's what I spend my time doing. And I blog about it and do videos about it. And it's also kind of what I do for work as well. Yeah, no, it's really cool. I love the videos. It's funny having seen you on a Teams call because like, obviously I recognize your background from all the videos you do. <laughs> yeah. And that's an interesting journey. I think most people that we talk to on the show or are in the community are more like SharePoint developers of old, touched all the ASP SharePoint stuff when they hacked it in 2007 or 2003, sorry. And then got into ASP.NET and then more recently got into SPFX and then kind of teams came along nearly five years ago and uh, now now they're teams developers. How do you think that journey is different for you being kind of coming from the more of the universal comms area? Yeah, it's been interesting. Like for a really long time, if I'd go and talk at conferences and stuff like that, I'd be I'd go to like a Teams conference and I'd be the one developer in a room of IT pros. And like I was just trying to bang the drum for like these are some extra things you can do and you don't have to fully understand it. Just just know that you can do this. Like if that's what your customers want to do, come and find out the answer. Yeah. Uh, actually that's kind of changed the last couple of years. Like definitely it's become a lot more accessible to to SharePoint developers and there's been work that's kind of I think deliberately done to to bring in the the capabilities of SharePoint developers, and that's a really good idea. And I think it's very powerful, but also to kind of make it much more accessible as well to more people, because otherwise you're really kind of restricting. Like it's got to be a like a Teams. It's quite a niche, right? Teams development is kind of feels like quite a niche still. So I think what's happening more is there's not more Teams developers showing up. Actually, kind of what's happening is the idea of Teams development is becoming broader. You know, because you don't have to just be into Teams development to do Teams development. You can be into SharePoint development. You can be into just kind of like PowerShell or some of the other technologies and stuff as well that work really well with Teams to kind of be part of the process and get involved. Yeah, and I think, you know, the the calling angle to me would be, I I would find it overwhelming because it's just a technology space that I've just never been in. And when I speak with my colleagues that, you know, 
are down the hallway, but remotely right now around like Azure communication services and stuff like that whole area is like totally new to me. And whereas I guess for you, that's where you started and then you kind of branched out into those other areas of extensibility in the UI. Yeah. So Azure communication services is a really interesting story because it's relatively new, right. like two or three years or something. And prior to that, like you could still do development around calling and calls and stuff, but yeah, it was pretty complicated. Right. And there were different ways of doing it. Like you could do it through the team's calling APIs and stuff like that. There were things you could do and that we were using that. And then what was kind of interesting with, with where Azure Communication Services sort of came from is that if you think about what Teams is as the kind of platform, the you know, calls and meetings, IMs, all of that part of things is actually not really Teams at all, right? It's it's the stuff under it's the the big kind of thing under the underneath the like in, in Microsoft they call it IC3, but like it's that that bottom bit that like handles the big sort of infrastructure that handles all of your calls and all your meetings and all IMs. And Teams kind of sits on top of it and adds things like Teams and channels and the infrastructure in the OS, like the you know, the nice interface and all the apps and everything that makes it all work. What was really interesting with ACS is that I think like Microsoft kind of got up one day and were like, we should do something with this massive backbone that like we should give this to developers. Like we should put a public API on it, which is exactly what ACS is. And you're using exactly the same calling, meeting, IM technology that Teams uses. But as a developer, you can plug straight into it. So if you want a meeting space or you want to connect two people together, you know, in a really, really high quality uh, audio, video, nice, secure, encrypted, compliant, all the rest of it way in exactly the same way that Teams does, you can do that now. And that's that's been a massive game changer, I think, for anyone who's working in this sort of space around doing, you know, voice and video. Yeah, and the amazing part about it is is where I sit in the graph team, you know, we're a horizontal team across all the different products, services that are running on type of Microsoft Graph. And you know, that, that challenge kind of exists for us in trying to, you know, work together with all these different product shipping APIs. And, and Teams is the engineering org for Teams or the product group for Teams is actually a completely different CVP to the team that IC3 that does mm-hmm. all the video, yes. voice, and IM. And it's amazing to see, like, how they manage to work together to ship stuff, yeah. even though they're, like, in totally different orgs, totally different buildings, and and now there's a product that they're selling too. Yeah, it's amazing, really. Yeah. It's, it's amazing, especially when some of the stuff that some of the stuff that's really, really interesting around this is how they, yeah, like you say, how they play together. So Azure Communication Services users that can have zero identity, they're not tied to like a Microsoft AD or identity or anything like that, very, very lightweight. They can join Teams meetings, which is, and now you can, that's one way of doing it, but you can also identify, you know, your ACS user, you can use a Microsoft identity, and then you can go and peer-to-peer call Teams users. Like there's so much nice interplay there um, that's really powerful. And yeah, it is like it's it's interesting to think like because it's completely it's a completely different model, like completely different. Like as you say, the two different, basically two different companies, really. Essentially, you know, two different. I mean, if you think about how like on the team side, it's all you use Teams because you're licensed to use Teams, and you've got an Azure AD identity. Like those are you have to have both of those things. Whereas on on the ACS side, you don't have to have any license at all, but you pay by consumption in Azure credits. And you don't need an identity. It's so completely different that, like, it's amazing that under the hood they've tied it all together and making it work in both scenarios. The other interesting aspect of that is like the scenarios that you hear customers using ACS in. Like, 
with where you work at Medali, like, is that something that you're touching on? Like, you know, the healthcare one seems to be a big one. What are some of the scenarios you see Azure Communication Services being used for? Yeah, healthcare is the big one right now for us. And that's more, I guess, because we were we already had a solution that wasn't based around ACS previously, but was based around Teams. And we were doing kind of what we had and making it work, but actually we can use ACS to make it work much nicer. And so that's a natural kind of fit for us. Definitely, though, that kind of B2C where you've got the people inside your organization that are using Teams and are very comfortable using Teams, and that's where they want to stay. They don't want to go and use something else. But then you've got everybody outside the organization who doesn't have Teams um, and just wants to hit a web page or use an app or something and talk to someone. That B2C model works really well in healthcare for patients to doctors, but could equally work in in retail, in legal, in insurance, in all these other places. Um, it's a very kind of powerful model, I think. Yeah, and there were some great sessions, I think, at Ignite and Build last year and uh, that kind of demonstrated how lightweight that can look from just like a web page launching. And you know, they did like the side-by-side windows with a Teams client and the web page was loaded and they were good to go. Yeah, it's it's so it's so easy to do, and actually, as as a developer, they've got so many UI components that are just drop in and use. It's actually not loads and loads of work either. Right, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, the toolkits and the SDKs they've got are really neat. So if you are interested in that, please go check out those build sessions on Azure Communication Services, or as Tom mentioned, like ACS is as ever everything is the acronym for that. I know you've talked a lot in the past about um, kind of like Teams Development Plus. You've kind of touched on this a little bit with like ACS being that plus if you think about teams development as like the the product or the user experience that you're kind of leading with with your customer but what other things do you think in the future will add to that plus from what you're seeing from from Microsoft yeah I definitely don't think we're done in terms of teams development I think it's it's one of those spaces that is really interesting right now and is really um, evolving kind of quickly so it's a really exciting place to be in for sure and um, because of all of that, uh, in terms of what I think's coming, yeah, definitely ACS. That's been really interesting and will continue to be so, I think. I think uh, Loop is worth keeping an eye on as well. Those Loop components that, are, you know, we know are coming and we kind of see the start of them. How that works for developers, I think, will be really interesting. And I think that's something, if you're a developer in this space, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on to understand like how that's going to work with Teams and the first-party applications, but also how you can take those and put them inside your applications as well, because it will make your own applications much, much richer as well and sort of help users essentially kind of keep on the same page with everything. The other interesting place I would say to look is what's happening with Mesh at the moment as well. I think kind of look forward to kind of the announcements at places like Build and Ignite, but we know from like the previous Ignite announcements and stuff, that's an area that the Teams is going to, kind of benefit from some of those investments in mesh and um, kind of augmented reality. And so it'd be really interesting as for developers, it'd be really interesting to see what that looks like. I'm not like massively, I haven't got loads and loads of experience on the mesh side because they've got like an SDK there as well. They've got like samples you can go and take and build your own thing. It'll be interesting to see whether it's as easy to do that in the team's world. Um, that would probably be like that would push me over the edge to go and have a look and get really interested in it if there's like a nice mesh for team sample I think um, for what that would look like and and for those that don't know what is mesh it's a good question um, I, as I understand it and again not not the expert really in this area it's like it's the augmented reality like 
thing that so Microsoft talked about it a bit Ignite last year. It's their kind of like I recognize realizing, if you like, of of augmented reality inside places like enterprises and stuff like that, where you've got some people remote, you've got some people in person, and you want to kind of bridge that gap. Mesh is like a an abstraction layer or an SDK layer, if you like, for developers to kind of build products on top of um, that support those kind of mixed reality models and some of the screenshots and like renderings and stuff we saw last time around around how that works in teams would be like collaborating around collaborating around like a virtual whiteboard or like seeing being in a, a vr space and seeing other people that are also in that vr space or even the people that are uh, not in that vr space but are in person somewhere you kind of see their representation as an avatar or like a, like a hollow person whatever um that kind of thing so it's really kind of changing and rethinking how we work together when we're not all in one place yeah they're, they're two really cool technologies and from a microsoft loops perspective you know there was a very good video that they showed at microsoft ignite which was really a teaser video of what's to come there as a as, as a full app that you'll be able to download and use um, but you can play with loops now and there are a few kind of community members out there i guess Dar- daryl webster is out he's really beating the drum on on loops and there's a bunch of youtube channels and linkedin group stuff if you're interested in kind of getting ahead with loops i'd recommend plugging in there with the mesh stuff no i don't think anyone's really picked that up just yet but there was some really cool demos at ignite and you can imagine if they announced those things at Ignite, there'll be more at this build and obviously Ignite at the end of the year. Yeah, fascinating tech to plug into Teams. And yeah, I do like the idea of, you know, as you say, Teams has a lot of extensibility directly into its own product. But, you know, with ACS, Mesh coming, Loops coming, um, which all have SDKs and developer stories, it, it's kind of really cool that it is a really big platform once you start kind of peeling back the onion and what's available. And then, you know, add... Outlook into that planner, SharePoint, all those things are part of that whole Teams Teams experience. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of hard to imagine building anything for an enterprise now that doesn't sit inside that world because that's where your users are, and it doesn't make sense to take your users out of that world and put them in another one. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's really neat. I, I'm excited to see all that stuff come together. I, I bought like a VR headset. Four or five years ago, when I was at Hyperfish, actually, we someone brought one into the office and set it up, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is amazing!" But I must admit, I didn't get fully into it. Like, I was for an hour in there, I was like, "Okay, I'm done. I'm going to go back to using mouse and keyboard and you know, first person shooters." But it'd be interesting to see how that works in a in a corporate world and where that really adds value over webcam, microphone, headset type thing. Yeah, I do have a Windows. I can't remember what it is now. It's like a Windows mixed reality headset. Yeah, is that right from a few years ago. Um, yeah, like fun story that that came from a I think I think this is probably not going to get me arrested let's try um <laughs> so in Israel I was there for for when we used to go out into the world and talk to people um for MS Ignite tour and we heard a rumor that they were opening the uh reactor at the same time in Tel Aviv oh, yeah. So we went along because it was a kind of like a sort of an invite probably, um, but it was maybe meant for only full-time people. We're not really sure. But anyway, we got in. Um, it was great. 
Scott Goo was there and talked. And and then as we left, they gave everyone these like, headsets. Wow. Which is why, which what makes me think it was probably for FTEs only, but whatever. But then I, <laughs> we had to try and get it out of the country because you're not really supposed to take those things out of the, like through customs and stuff like that because it's kind of a yeah, gift and stuff. So yeah, stuff. it was all like unpacked. Yeah. So we played with it in the hotel room for a bit. So it looked knocked about a bit. Um, so yeah, we managed to get it home. <laughs> so yeah, all good. Yeah, That's really cool. I mean, I've seen some pretty pretty pricey gifts handed out at various different events that well, aren't just FTE. Yeah. So Take it. regardless, they gave it to it you. It was a few years ago now. There you go. So, yeah. Done yeah. deal. <laughs> they can't have it back now. Keeps these. That's it. That's it. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And, uh, I, you know, actually one thing about not being on campuses is like you don't hear all of those room mill things anymore that you would do in a, like – the amount of things I learned by sitting in Microsoft cafes for mm. like, you just hear people talking about it and then you go over, Hey, oh, you guys are on this team. That's great. Like I'm in this team. And then they just start sharing what they're doing. You're like, Whoa. Yeah. yeah. But um, obviously in, in a lot of cases, some of those hardware things are what we call tented where they've got two, two NDAs. I've got some friends that just won't tell me anything. And it's like, man, you are so good at keeping secrets. I don't know how, I, you know, that would be really, really hard to do yeah. as a techie that wants to tell people stuff. Yep. Now, I don't think that's the only kind of journey. I, I've seen you playing a lot in, I guess there's so many ways we talk about this, like citizen development, low-code, no-code development. But there seems to be a lot of kind of space within a Teams developer platform in there. Like, what have you, what's your experience with working with that that area? Yeah, and that's, that's really come alive in the last couple of years. And it's both kind of confusing, but also really exciting. Because so there's an awful lot of like confusion out there at the moment because there's so many different ways of doing things. There's lots of different low code tools. There's some no code tools. Some there's some overlap. Obviously, there's like the pro tools as well. And so there is kind of some confusion about what can be used where and when and stuff like that. But there's so much excitement as well, like by people that are not out and out developers, you know, people who are just kind of decent people, like smart people, whatever in the business, but they understand the business, but they've got no desire to go and learn a coding language, just to go and solve a problem. But they know, they know the problems in the business that need solving, you know, where just a little bit of automation or just a bit of process, whatever here could really kind of help things along. And so there's a whole bunch of tool like capabilities now, whether it's like the power platform stuff, there's all sorts of ways to use like Power Automate to interact with teams, whether it's Power Virtual Agents, whether it's like bot framework stuff and and some of the kind of no code ways of using bot framework like Q&A Maker and stuff like that. There's so many different ways now to kind of work with teams without needing to be like a full on teams developer. And so, yeah, I've been sort of spending some time kind of going through all of those, understanding them and then that's where I see a lot of people asking questions and a lot of confusion because it's being driven by the excitement. You know, confusion by itself is just silence because people don't bother because they don't care. Like this is confusion driven by kind of excitement, really, because it's like... Right, it's like an intrigue into what the art of the possible is there. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. How do those things like hook? How do they show up in the user experience of Teams? What, what are some of the ways that some of these low-code tools can be used yeah, a lot of the kind of the common language, if you like, is probably adaptive cards. So there's a really nice way of like surfacing information from other places into Teams. If you're building something in Power Automate, for instance, like you can post messages into Teams and channels in various different places. You can do it through PowerShell as well. So if you're, you know, an IT pro, but you've got no desire to go into the development side of things, but you do PowerShell, I mean, you're kind of a developer anyway, but let's park that for a minute. Like you can just you know, post an adaptive card, make an HTTP re- like request and post an adaptive card into a team. 
that's a brilliant way of just like being notified that one of your many like overnight PowerShell jobs has failed, right? You don't do that instead of email because like then a whole bunch of people will jump on it in a team and resolve it. Yeah, so like adaptive cards are a good way of doing that. There's all sorts of other ways of like trading information. So inside Teams, for instance, you can uh, you can expose like power apps. So you could write a power app and just expose it and give it to people to use inside of a, t- a channel and it will show up as a tab. And that's before we even kind of got into any of the conversation about bots and all the ways that, you know, you can use bots to connect into legacy systems um, that you'd otherwise have to have users come out of Teams and go to. You could just write a bot to kind of short circuit that process. Also, if you do that, like actually what you've done is you've taken your legacy system and made it available to anyone in your organization secured with a Microsoft identity because through Teams, but also available off the network anywhere because through Teams and on a mobile device because through Teams. Really, really nice way of taking like an old legacy system and bringing it right up to date without having to do too much work. And the bot thing, like, you know, if I, you know, builds four or five years ago with bot framework, you know, we were presenting a lot of stuff to stage and there was a lot of infrastructure and like plumbing to get one of those things running. I can't foresee how that gets so easy as a low code thing. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So a few years ago, maybe probably six, seven years ago, I used to do this talk where I'd build like a, a bot from scratch in a session it, that was like the thing right i'd start with nothing and end with like a bot i think it told the like it was the weather bot you know and it would take me like 60 minutes and i had to bring my own keyboard like as well as the laptop because i was like bring the keyboard plug it in i was like look i have to like i have to work quite fast and it was like the skill of like not just sitting silently in building but like trying to explain and it took 60 minutes to build this bot anyway Literally a couple, like the next year or two years after that, that whole thing took 20 minutes rather than 60 because the Azure bot service thing came along that allowed you to provision a bot in Azure and handled all of the config of like how that all worked. So all you had to do was just write the code. A couple of years after that, uh, Bot Framework Composer came along, which is like a UI for building bots. Think of it a bit like in terms of how it looks to use. It's a little bit like um, Power Automate and Flows. Looks a bit like that, like a kind of flowchart thing. So now, it, like building the same bot is like five minutes work, and you click it and it runs. Like it's it's that good. And so, Bot Framework Composer is a nice crossover point between developer building like a pro tool thing that's at like as you'd imagine, like black screen code, like debug, run that kind of thing, and somebody from the business who just wants a solution. Like the bot framework composer is a really nice middle ground because it's actual bot framework code, but you can see on the screen how it's going to work. So you can sit down, developer and business person can sit down together and just look through the flow and be like, if they, if that happens, that goes there, yeah, that and there that works. Oh, you've forgotten about what happens if this happens and blah 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 blah. So actually, yeah, I really like bot framework composer for that as well as being a really good entry point and actually for a lot of things that need to be built. Like it's absolutely fine. You don't need to start from scratch in code. You can do something like Bot Framework Composer to get going faster. And so with all those low code things in the past, my experience has been like, they make good prototyping tools for a business to put something together and then be like, hey, Mr. Dev Team, build this properly. Or they make like the first 
V1 or V2 of the business process gets done that way. And then the analyst gets really excited and wants a bunch more things and they hit that limit and then it needs to go to the developer to, you know, launch into V3. Where are we at with loco tooling now, in your opinion, with like that handover? Is it like start from scratch or imagine with Bot Framework Composer, if it's Bot Framework under the covers, maybe there's a way you can kind of take it and break it apart and run from there. Yeah, there is. Yeah, you can definitely do that. You can drop into code, which is really nice. So if you, when you hit that limit, you will, you do hit the limit. Like that's the reality of an abstraction, I guess, like uh, something like that, that um, those building blocks, like depending on your scenario and whatever, you might hit that limit. Yeah, with Bot Framework Composer, you can drop into code and go that way. That's definitely true. But like, it's still a valid, like it's kind of like a valid tool to use for proof of concepts in that way anyway if you like because like that's the point of a proof of concept right and then you're ready to build it you can either keep going with what you've got or you kind of start again but also because something like composer supports uh the concept of skills which are just like reusable components of functionality right you could actually take that proof of concept and be like okay fine if we're gonna do this for real the, the hard bits are here, here, and here. So let's go and make those skills from scratch. And then let's come back to our proof of concept and keep it simple again. Like strip out the bits that got complicated and got a bit messy, pop in these skills instead and keep everything simple and then keep going again. Stay in the bot framework composer for all the simple stuff and like to allow you to tie together the conversation and see the bigger picture, but use the skills to like plug in the really complicated bits. And I've, I've heard you call that fusion dev a few times and that's kind of a really, I, I like that word. And I, I guess I'm trying to think from the, 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 you know, you've come from the OCS link days, but like in the SharePoint days, I guess there was a few areas where that, if you squinted could happen, like SharePoint designer workflows, there were some ways where you could kind of pull that out and, you know, take that into Visual Studio and, and do it, but there wasn't really a way to go back to SharePoint designer, but yeah, that's interesting that you can do that approach with um, those skills. And that was actually the session I did at Build where we demonstrated skills when they first came out on Azure Bot Service, actually. Okay. But yeah, that's cool. I, I like that approach. Where do you see bots fitting? Like, I, you know, if I think back to my time, it, it was, you know, the legacy app thing was definitely a big push. But in, in my personal experience, sometimes I find apps or you know, bots or even like, you know, like phone voice assistants where... You know, they pr- try and throw you at a robot to, you know, say push one, push two, push three, when, you know, you can have a conversation with a human being in 10 seconds and, you know, be done. Where do you see them really fitting in, in in the business? I think they do have a place, but I think the thing that people forget is that they require designing just like any other application requires designing. And in fact, more so actually, because like that conversation you have with the bot is the entire user experience. Right, right. And there is nothing else. So it's got to be really good. And so you do have to start from thinking like, what is the problem I'm solving? Is this the right problem to be like, is this the right way to be solving this problem? Is it genuinely going to be quicker and faster and whatever to, to go down this road? And if so, fine. But like, let's make sure we do it in the most efficient way possible. Let's make sure we ask the right questions, not put paint the user, like drive the user into a corner they can't get back out of. Right, right, right. There's lots of these like practices for making a good bot. And there's a whole process you can go through to like design it right, test it, 
yeah, like figure out what works and what doesn't and, and all the rest of it. And that's like really important to do if you are rolling out a bot to do something. And measuring is the other really important thing to do as well. Like you don't like there's so much stuff you can measure and it's much I think it's again it's more important because it's such a cut down interface. Like it is just that conversation. So it's really important to know where users are dropping off, where you're not answering their their things, and also what are the things they're trying to do that you're not able to do. Like you might launch a bot with the expectation that you are solving problems a b and c but actually your users might be trying to hit your bot and solve problem d and getting frustrated because they can't so knowing that's what they're trying to do like maybe you could do d and you just hadn't planned on doing it yet but actually it turns out that that's what everybody naturally thinks of using your bot for so you lean into that implement d quickly and like go from there but that's all driven by understanding how people are using your bot and what they're using it for yeah it's an interesting thing we haven't seen a lot of it come out of what we call Microsoft Digital. It was MSIT internally at Microsoft, but um, I'm I'm not using any bots for my day-to-day yet. I'm not submitting days off yet for a bot or, um, but I'm assuming it must be close to coming, but because um, there's a lot of work they're doing on mobile apps at the moment. But I mean, those kind of things would be useful if I could just, you know, push a few buttons and avoid our awful, horrible time card system that we have internally. Yes. I mean, there's like... Then those kind of bots are, you know, more streamlined way of just going, yep, took the day off, sick. Yeah, 100%. And like the some of the challenges with that are that in that example, it has to be like the way it talks to the backend system has to be exactly the same as the current system you'll have. Yeah, that's what I'm mapping. It, it can't be that like you do it, and then for some reason, like you find out in a week's time, it didn't actually go through, right? Because like mm-hmm. it's not quite synced up and it requires somebody like, turns out the bot was just sending an email to someone and they were off that day and like they never processed it, whatever. <laughs> it, it's got to be, it's got to be as good. Otherwise people will just stop using your thing, you know, your bot, your thing or whatever. Yeah, that's right. And that, that can kind of slow things up. But yeah, it, it totally makes sense. Like it's just internal tools are always hard, right? Because you don't get a lot of choice. Users have a lot of choice normally, and that drives kind of good, good decision, good app choice, and stuff like that. Internal tools are, are slightly harder. It's 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 easier than it was because like users internally have a lot more choice than they ever did. But you've only got one way of booking holiday, and if you want your holiday, you sorry, you've got, you've got to go down the system, otherwise you don't get your holiday. Right, right. Too bad, too bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, no seeing Mickey. <laughs> so I ask this question a lot of people that are working with Teams. What, what's your take on it? Like you you've talked a bit about like. Teams is that entry layer and, it, you know, obviously you've got it in your desktop, you've got it in a web browser, you've got it on mobile and like building into, you mentioned Power Apps as a, a tab and, you know, bots within chat windows. There's a lot of talk around whether that's the right way to go and like putting everything in Teams versus, you know, like going to different places to do things. How are you seeing that land with customers you're working with as a whole? Yeah, so I think that is a legitimate fear people have is that Teams kind of from where teams started out like it gets stuff bolted on and bolted on and bolted on until like it's this big unwieldy thing um and like it gets in the way of its trips over itself and stuff like that like the best example i can think of where this is done really really well and you don't notice it is the like the education part of teams so like teams has got this whole education part to it around like you know classes and assignments and and teaching and grading and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and 90% probably more of teams users never see that right and they never get prompted to use it it's never a drop down option like you have to be opted into it on some special tenant SKU to see it ever mm-hmm. but it's in there and it's part of the it's part of teams right like that's a really nice way of like 
this is a whole set of functionality for a very specific group of people. The other people never need to see it. Don't let it get in their way. I think if that model could be used as Teams expands into different verticals and to different areas, then I think that keeps it like, it it keeps the, the components that each specific vertical has more relevant. Like it's hard to do, but yeah, I, th- I think that that kind of helps. Otherwise, the risk is like, yeah, you get this kind of sprawl of things, and lots of them aren't, you know, particularly relevant. The flip side is that one person's perception, like idea of relevance, is very different from another. And if you're, you know, if if you're like an enterprise, if you're like a, a legal firm or something like that, you might think that I don't know something like I'm looking at my screen now, like the the reactions menu, like that, you know, where you can like do the likes and the applause and the hearts and stuff. You might think well, that's not relevant for us. We're a professional legal services company, but actually, I think the bigger Microsoft drive of actually, it's more important how people talk to one another. That's an important right. part of communication. I think that should win out. I agree with that. I think that's really good. So it is a it's a hard like thing because one person's perception of what's important is, is different to another's yeah and and there are other example like the education one it's you know my daughter's not old enough yet to be on a laptop where i'm seeing that and obviously we're pretty much a microsoft town in terms of our schools mm-hmm. but um the viva integrations that we're seeing in teams and the communities integration we're seeing in teams which is essentially is the yammer evolution mm. those things sit really nicely there on that left hand rail and integrate with the activity feed and you know various other areas of teams and and it's all essentially dog fooding the developer extensibility platform that any developer can go use to plug in all their own apps and be in out the team store and on those things I, so i think you know it is a good way of just for a basic user to kind of just be in one spot and get to everything i think my personal challenge as a power user is it's very modal. Mm. It's very like you can only do one thing at once. And so like anytime I see those that team, which is hard again, not being in person anymore. But if I was running in that building, I'd be like, well, and it's Bellevue where they are. They're actually not on Redmond campus. It'd be, I want to pop out everything. Let me pop out absolutely everything I'm working on so that I'm not stuck in this modal thing of chatting to someone, jumping into a Viva Insights thing and then, not being able to see my chat at the same time or yeah definitely like it's it's hard because the it's that same model that gives them that flexibility that extensibility to bring in third parties as well and be like you can right. write your app and have it on the rail just like anyone like any of the teams like any of the microsoft ones yeah it's that same challenge isn't it it's like it's a very modal thing yeah yeah no i agree like pop out everything multi multi monitor support like all that jazz yeah yeah definitely yeah, there's a few things in uh, the edition we've got right now, which I think they just announced, but I'm not going to say it just, just in case I get in trouble, but that I'm like, oh, this makes my life so much easier in meetings. Yeah, like, yeah. This is amazing. So, yeah, they are definitely listening. And they're uh, the community feedback portal, which is on running on Dynamics. Um, they do listen and they do triage those issues and um, they, you know, they're linked straight into the Azure DevOps boards that they're working on. So it is good to see like how quickly Teams has evolved during the pandemic, it's just amazing some of the features that they've launched with all the pressure we've had Definitely. working from home. Well, cool. Look, I really appreciate your time today, mate. Thank you so much. It's good to catch up. Again, it's you know it's hard not being in person to just catch up in the hallways of the conferences and stuff. But um, I, I learned some things today that uh, you know from your own experiences. So thank you, and um, we'll definitely get you back on as some of these other technologies evolve and 
become more public and we can talk a bit more about some of this other teams development plus stuff that you how you framed it i quite like that yeah yeah no definitely thanks very much it's been lots of fun and yes can't wait to see some people in person soon hopefully but yeah cool well um have a good rest of your evening afternoon evening and um yeah we'll see you soon thanks a lot thanks very much cheers thanks for listening to the microsoft 365 developer podcast Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 